Well, sometimes the word chance or fate or luck. Just recently, I was go- I was back in Mississippi and I was driving and and you know they have we have casinos out here. There's casinos there as well. And I remember reading an advertisement. It said this: "With a little luck, you can win some money." Or there was another sign that says, "Take a chance, come to the casinos." Sometimes when people look at life, they look at life in that way. They think of life as, as chance and fate and luck, and they hope that something's going to fall their way and that they could be lucky. Uh, I had a friend that used to say, I'd rather be lucky than good. Well, the truth is this, and um, next slide. I don't know if Mark. Yeah, it's the next slide. There should be another. Okay, there's not another slide there. Huh, this is weird because we checked them just right before but anyway truth is we realize there's no such thing as luck or chance or fate because god is in control and he's working all things according to the counsel of his will and this evening we see god working in the life of joseph uh he is working his sovereign plan to raise joseph up from prison to be second only in command basically second only to pharaoh it's real powerful now we realize that we must trust god in the circumstances of our life knowing that he is in control let me give you a brief review first of all joseph had two dreams i I, I don't know if these are the right slides or not because this is not fitting Mark, you might check it to see. Uh, we're, we're doing um, verses 36 through 57. Okay, yeah. All right. Let me wait a second see if we can get on it. Yeah, that, I think those are the slides. There we go. Realize that there's no such thing as luck or fate or chance. And... Uh, uh, they'll be next to the two dreams. Keep going. Okay, there we go. All right, let's talk about it. As we think through Joseph, there's been a lot of different things. First of all, Joseph had two dreams, and we're going to see how this fits. He had a dream in which all the chiefs bowed down before him, and that, that was a symbolic that his brothers would bow before him. He also had the dream of the sun and the moon and the stars would bow down, and that was the same thing as his family bowing down. So he had two dreams. Then there are two more dreams, and... That two dreams by the baker and the cupbearer. And if you remember, one of them had the dream about the cupbearer. He said the grapes and, and the cup, and he was going to be raised up. And the other guy had the, the bacon and the birds eaten out of the top of his head. And, and so he would, he would die. And now, two more dreams. And this is the dreams by Pharaoh. And bottom line, this is showing what God is going to do. Now, let's think about what we've seen. Pharaoh, this is in chapter 41, we saw that first of all, Pharaoh had two dreams. He saw that there were seven cows, and they were good-looking cows, and they came up out of the Nile River, and they looked big and healthy, and then seven bad cows came up and ate the seven good cows up. And he woke up, then he had another dream, and there were these seven big ears of grain, and they looked good, and then seven bad ones came up, and the seven bad ones ate it up. And, and he woke up, and, and he said, what does all this mean? And he brought in his magicians and his wise men, so to speak, and he said, you know, tell me what this dream means, or these dreams mean, and nobody could remember. I mean, nobody could tell him, nobody could tell what it meant. And then the cupbearer said, oh, oh, wait a minute, I just, I just thought of something, you know, I should have told you this, but... One time when you were upset with me and the, the, the uh, baker, you threw us into prison and we had dreams. And there was a young Hebrew man there who was able to interpret the dreams and they came out exactly right. And so Pharaoh says, call for this man. And so they call for Joseph. And uh, he said to Joseph, um, Joseph, I understand that when somebody has a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph said, no, that's not exactly it. No, I can't do it, but God can. In fact, one of the things that he did... He said, it's not me, but it's God. 
And he gave God all the glory. And all the way through this whole thing, when Joseph is being used by God, instead of saying, I'm able to do the dreams, I'm able to do this, I'm able to do this, he says, not me, but God. God gets all the glory. The truth is this. Whenever we get to serve God, and that's the privilege of our lives, is getting to serve God, it's for it's for his glory. And you think about it. We talked about it last time. That if you were to get to teach something, if you were to lead somebody to Christ, you were to do a Bible study, you get to help somebody do something, you set up chairs, you do anything, whatever you get to do, you can't say, This is what I got to this is what I did. You say, This is what God allowed me to do. It was his power through us. And and you just think about it, it is God who wants give who gives us the gifts, who gives us the power, who gives us the word, who gives us the Holy Spirit, He gets all the glory. Joseph says that God will give the answer. And what Joseph said was this. He said, well, in the first dream, the seven good cows are seven good years. And the seven bad cows are seven bad years. And in the second dream, the seven good years represent seven good years. And the seven bad grain, whatever he says, that's seven bad years. And he says the dreams are one and the same. There's going to be seven good years followed by seven bad years. And when it looked like that the big, the old skinny cows ate up the good cows and you couldn't even tell it, he says that's because when the famine comes, nobody's going to even remember the good years. It's going to be so bad. And he said, God has warned Pharaoh of what he is about to do. And the repeating of the dream shows that it will happen soon. Four times in this one section, and we saw it last week, Joseph said, all this is from God, and this is what he's going to do. You know, that's what is so amazing. Well, why would God do this? What's the whole plan? Well, this is the place that God is going to bring his people. And he wants them to survive. We've seen two things. Sometimes the question is raised, why would God raise, bring Joseph down into Egypt and then raise him up to power? We all say it is so that, that the nation of Israel can go down to Egypt into the, uh, in, in the famine. But why would God pull his... Why, why wouldn't he just have a famine everywhere but Canaan? I mean, he could do that if he wanted to save his people from anything. He, he could have a famine everywhere except Canaan. But he has a famine, and the only place that can protect them, basically, is Egypt. And so he puts Joseph there to raise him up. And we said there were two things. One is he wanted to get his people into the land of Egypt so he could become, they could become a nation. But number two, he removed them from the land of Canaan on purpose because of the corruption of the Canaanites. And we saw in that chapter when Judah, and we saw the corruption happen in the Judah, if the nation of Israel would remain in Canaan, there's no telling what would happen to them. So he removes them to Egypt, raises up Joseph to deliver them through the, through the famine. Well, Joseph is going to give some advice. And he says in verse 33, if you'll notice, Genesis 41, verse 33, this is where he is told about the dreams. And then in verse 33, here's what Joseph's advice is. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. We talked about this last time. Joseph is not saying, oh, what you need to do is pick out a real wise man. A real wise man who knows a lot? Joseph isn't doing that. Joseph would have never thought that Pharaoh would take a Hebrew slave and raise him up to be in power. All he's saying is, let me tell you, the wisest thing to do is find somebody that's a wise person to put them in a place of leadership. And he comes up with a plan. Look at the plan in verse 34. Let Pharaoh take action. 
Here's the plan. Take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. He goes on to say, then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become a reserve for the land for seven years of famine which will follow in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. He, he, not only does he say you need to come up with a wise man, he comes up with the wise plan right there. He says what you need to do now is in the next seven years you need to have people appointed all throughout the land and as the crops come in you take a, a portion of it, take a fifth of it and you store it and you keep it stored up over the seven years of of great harvest and great abundance so that when the seven years of famine come we'll have all this stored up it'll all be under pharaoh's control and when the people need food we can be able to give food to them so that the land will not perish i don't know if joseph had an idea and probably not that god was using this and using him to save his own family he, he may not have realized. He, he may have thought, maybe the famine's just going to be in Egypt. He doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know that, that maybe at this point, I mean, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe he does know, but it, it doesn't give us any indication in the Scripture that he knows what God is doing. He just says, you know, so that the land, the land of Egypt, so that during the land, so that the land will not perish. He's talking about the Egyptians. So it's pretty powerful. Now, what was Pharaoh's response to all this? Look at verse 37. Now, the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. <laughs> what a Good idea. That sounds like a good idea. He realized this would be the way to save their lives. Now, you know, when you see God working... And you know, the wisdom of God is just, it's just amazing. You can almost see Pharaoh's mind clicking and going, wow, I don't think I would have ever thought of that. I mean, I don't think I'd have ever realized what to do. This guy has said, here's what's going to happen, and he's come up with a plan to save everybody. So here's the question that he raises, verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Now, what is he doing? He, he's basically looking at Joseph and going, Can we find anybody like this who has this divine spirit? What he's saying is, he said that God would give the answer. He knows about the God of the Hebrews. And, and Joseph didn't beat around the bush. He didn't say, God's will give us the answer. He didn't say a particular anything. He said, the God, the true God, will give the answer. So Pharaoh knows that Joseph is saying, the God of the Hebrews is going to give us the answer. And so he says, well, where in the world are we going to find anybody like this man who has this divine spirit? He's saying, God obviously is working in this man. Where are we going to find anybody like him? Now, God is working. I want you to think about this. We talked about this last week. Joseph is at the right place at the right time. What a lucky break, right? Well, just by chance, he happened to be able to do dreams, and it just so happened that, you know, the, the two servants of Pharaoh were there and found out about him, and it just so happened that he's brought up now, and the Pharaoh has these dreams and we'd say, no, there's no such thing as just so happens. No such thing. Joseph is at the right place at the right time because this is God's plan. It just so happens he interprets the dreams. No, there's no such thing as chance. 
He's always been in the right place at the right time. You realize that technically, I mean, you're in the right place at the right time. God's working counsel of His will. He's working our lives. If you go back to Psalm 139, what does it say about your life in Psalm 139? Does anybody remember? It says that the book of your life has already been written. He's already written it. He knows everything. He's working your life. Now, what is so amazing that he can work everything in your life, and yet at the same time you have the decision-making capacity to do anything you choose to do, and you're accountable for it, and it fits in his plan. I don't know. It's just amazing. we got the greatest God there could be, that you could have the freedom to say, I think I'll go to church on Wednesday night and, and study the book of Genesis. That was your plan, your choice, and you're accountable. And yet in God's sovereign plan, this is where you will be. We just go, I don't get that. Well, we can't get it because he's an infinite God and we're finite. Well, Joseph is at the right place at the right time. So look at the conclusion, you might say, in verses 39 and 40. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Now this is this is an unbelievable statement by a a pagan king who actually thinks he's a god. He says to Joseph, you, you, you're going to do this because there's no one as wise as you are. And you're going to be over everything. You're going to be over my house. And everybody will be under your command, except me, of course. Except me, because everyone will do Only in the throne I will be greater than you. He says, you're the one to oversee the project. You will be over the house. Can you imagine that Pharaoh says to this guy, you are the be- you are the top dog except for me. Nobody's better than me, of course. Nobody. Because I'm Pharaoh. I'm going to let you be number two on the all-time list. And everyone will bow to you. He will come to be in the court of the Pharaoh, the king, the god of Egypt. And he says, all are under me except... Uh, you know, except, you know, all are under me except you. You, I mean, you you're a, Everybody's under you, and then you're under me. Verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. How, how is everybody going to know this? Look at the next verse. Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. I want to stop right there. Um, let's say the whole meeting took an hour, right? Let's just say it took an hour for him to come there, interpret the dream, and Pharaoh say, what are we going to do? And they came up with a plan. So think, an hour, and let's say an hour and a half ago, where was he? He was in prison, looked terrible, right? And what did he do before they pulled him into the Pharaoh? They did what? They cleaned him up and he shaved. And now, an hour and a half later, he has the ring of the Pharaoh and some pretty good-looking clothes, right? I mean, you know, right? And notice the next verse. He had him ride in his second chariot. And they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. My gracious alive. The second chariot. 
that ain't bad, right? Who's in the first chariot? Pharaoh. So whoever comes after Pharaoh is the second most important person. And it's a guy who an hour and a half ago, two hours ago, was a slave. Joseph is raised to power. I guess, yeah, there it is. Joseph is raised to power from prison to the palace. Think about that. It seems impossible, doesn't it? I mean, let's face it. If somebody going to make up a story, you'd say, I, that's, I don't think that's a very realistic story that some slave would actually become number two in Egypt. Well, if it was somebody's made-up story, it probably may, wouldn't be a very realistic story. But this isn't made-up story. This is what actually happened. Can God take a Hebrew slave and raise him to number two in Egypt? The answer is yes. He can do anything. Look what he's got. He's got the ring. What does the signet ring mean? It shows us what? The authority of the Pharaoh. The authority of the Pharaoh. What a change from slave to ruler just like that. You ever thought about the change for us? Look at this. We were dead. Now we're what? Alive. We were children of the devil. We are now what? How long did that take? Just like that. The moment you believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, He has raised up, made us alive in Christ, raised us and seated in, us in heavenly places. And we who were children of the devil, now as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. And how did it happen? Just like that. You'd say, how could someone who technically... They're on their way to be separated from God forever, and they're sinful, and they could never do one thing to earn God's pleasure. How can, just like that, they're a child of God and going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ? It's through who? Through Jesus Christ. Just like that. We were all... Like sheep going astray each one their own way. We're all dead in trespasses sin. They're all none righteous, no, not one. There's not one of us who were seeking after God. And yet in His grace and mercy, He sent His Son, Jesus. And whoever believes in Him will not perish, but just like that, have eternal life. Wow. From death to life, we're raised up as God's children, no longer slaves to sin, but heirs of God as those raised up to serve. Wow. So, He's got good clothes. They took, put the signet ring, they gave him the good clothes, they got the gold necklace uh, the, uh, around his neck. He's riding in the second chariot, everybody's got to bow down before him. He has set him over the land of Egypt. You remember what, in one of the dreams, who's bowing down to Joseph? Everybody, really, his family, but, but ultimately, everybody. They're all bowing down to him, and this is what's happening even here. Notice what happens, verse 45. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zephaniah Paneah, and he gave him uh, Asenath, the daughter of Pateria, priest of On, as his wife. Why in the world? Okay, let's think for just a second. Why would Pharaoh change his name? Say it. I don't know. We know this, that what name did he give him? He gave him an Egyptian name. So, I mean, you're going to raise up the number two guy and he's going to be Jewish? They're going to look at that like, I don't, I don't, how does that work? So he gives him an Egyptian name and he gives him what? What else? An Egyptian wife. And who is his wife's father? 
the priest, an Egyptian priest. Now, what if you said to Joseph, no, 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 you, no, no, you can't marry her. See, because you're Jewish and she's an Egyptian. You, you can't, you can't, you can't marry her. What, what's Joseph going to do? Joseph's going to say, excuse me. Nah. He doesn't have much control here, right? Except the fact that he's fixing to be number two on the list. But when number one tells you, this is going to be your new name and this is going to be your wife. He probably says, thank you for letting me be alive and get out of those bad clothes. Right? Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Look at the big change. Gave him a name, gave him a name, gave him a wife. You know what the name means? Name means God speaks, he listens. Isn't that amazing? Because what happened? God spoke and who listened? Joseph. See, he said, can you tell us what the dream is? Yeah, I can't, but God will, because God's going to speak to me, and then I'm going to tell you the dream. God speaks, he listens. And his wife was the daughter of a priest. It put him in good with all the Egyptians, because he's now married into what? The priestly family. We're going to see later on that when all of the, the bad things are happening in Egypt and they're all starving to death and all, and all these things, the priests are the ones that are exempt from everything. So being in the priestly family was big. Joseph's been placed in great authority in Egypt. He has a wife and a new name. And one day he goes from prison to palace. He's been changed from a Hebrew slave in prison to an Egyptian man with wife and authority. When his brothers come to see him in the next chapter, chapter 42, we're going to get to that. When his brothers come to see him, what does he look like? Looks like an Egyptian man. Is he speaking Egyptian? He is. His brothers come up and talk, and they use a translator. Joseph talks to his brothers in Egyptian, and they translate it back. And he knows everything they're saying. They just don't even know it. They're talking back and forth, and he's going, I know everything you're saying. You just think you don't even know. I know what you're saying. Even though I'm pretending I can't speak Hebrew, I know everything you're saying. He looked like an Egyptian. Joseph sold out, didn't he? He sold out to be like an Egyptian. Is that what you'd say? You ever thought about it that way? I never have thought about it that way. In fact, what I think God is doing is saying, I have prepared Joseph to be the Savior of of my people. Joseph's a picture of Christ. Rejected by his family and becomes the Savior. Jesus Christ rejected by his family, the Jewish nation, and becomes the Savior. That's what we're seeing. God is working in the events of his life, preparing him to be used even more in the future. God puts Joseph in the right place at the right time. There's a word here. This We call it providence which is from the Latin there, which means God oversees. And God sees and superintends, superintends everything. It's true. The thing I want you to understand, there are some people when they talk about the sovereignty of God, they swing it all to this side, that's the sovereignty, and they leave out your choices. And they're wrong. And then there are some people that all they talk about is your freedom, and they forget about the sovereignty of God. And they're wrong. They both go together. You've got a God that works all things according to the counsel of his will. And you have decision-making capacity and choices to make any choice you want. And you're accountable for them. And yet they both fit together. 
He's working in Joseph's life. If Joseph was not raised up, how would the nation be protected? God is working. God's working in our lives. We have to trust Him. How are things going in your life? Sometimes things are going great. We go, it was so, uh, you wouldn't believe what God did. And then times you say, you wouldn't believe what God did. Right? And everything is working. We have to trust Him. Well, what happens? Look at verse 46. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. So how many years have passed? 13 years. Now, does 13 years sound like a long time? Now, the older you are, the less 13 years sounds like. 13 years doesn't sound that long. But if you're 13, 13 sounds like a long time. It's your whole life, right? 13 years went by, and all those 13 years, Joseph could have been saying, I don't get this. Why do you have me in, why do you have me as a slave? Why do you have me in prison? Why is this working out? How come, how come when I told those guys, don't forget me, they forgot me? God is working. What will keep Joseph from letting all this power go to his head? Hmm? I, so you saying that what will keep him from saying, I am pretty good, is that he goes back and says, who gets all the glory in this? It's God. I think so. Think about this. Are we faithful in the little things? We'll be faithful in the big things. Was Joseph faithful in the little things? Was he faithful to be a slave to, to, to uh, Potiphar? He was the best you could be. And then he got thrown into prison, which we'd say that's not a great place to be. Was he faithful to work in the prison and be the best that there was? He's faithful in that which is little. He would be faithful in that which is much. Listen, he's now number two on the list. Do you think that Joseph's going to go, it's about time I'm number two. Joseph's going to go, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm trusting you and I will, I will do what you want me to do. God has been preparing Joseph for this. He must trust God. He realizes that this is fulfillment of the dreams. Joseph continues to trust God not only in the bad times, but in the good times. And the truth is, isn't it sometimes a little easier to trust God in the bad times than in the good times? When are you more likely not to trust God? When things are going bad and you're going, oh, Lord, help me? Or when things are going good and you say, Lord, who? Right? Because sometimes when things are going good, you actually think you're you're making this happen. It's God who works all things. Well, look what happens. Now, Joseph, go back to verse 46. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth (coughs) abundantly. Now, that's exactly what he said. He said there'd be seven years of abundance. So he gathered all the food, those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like, look at this, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring. It was beyond measure. They stopped counting how much they had after a while. They said, we got, it's, I mean, it's there. We don't even know how much is there. There's so much there. Now, we're going to see something else happens before the famine comes. Notice verse 50. Now, before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, who had Seneth, the daughter of Popperea, priest of On, 
brought to, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. Now, have you ever thought, as you've looked at the lineage of the Jewish people, and you talk about the twelve tribes, right? Is one of the tribes called Joseph? It's not called Joseph. There's actually two tribes from Joseph, and they're called what? Ephraim and Manasseh. You understand that Ephraim and Manasseh's mother was not Jewish. She was what? An Egyptian. Can God take anything and work it according to his purposes? He does. Notice, uh, Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. Well, the two sons were born. The first one is Manasseh, which means making to forget. And then notice he said, said the next son. He named the second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim means fruitful. So God blesses Joseph. Basically, he says God provides and protects. And it's true for all of us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Why should we fear? Uh, we, we, he makes us forget our troubles as we trust him. He is fruitful. He does beyond what we can imagine. If you look at your life, can't you look back at the years past and you say, God has done things in my life which were above, beyond what I could have ever imagined. Now just think about what, you're, what do you think is going to happen in the next five years in your life, if Lord doesn't come back and if you live for five more years, what do you think is going to happen? Do you realize that what you're thinking is going to happen, he's going to work beyond what you could even imagine is going to happen. And then these five years have passed and you look back, you'll go, I can't believe that. That is so amazing, all the different things that he did. Well, look what happens. Verse 53. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Wonder why? They saved it up. They've been saving it. Verse 55. So all the land of Egypt was famished. The people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. You can see the Pharaoh saying, hey, I don't want to be bothered with this. i got a guy to handle it. So when you come asking for food, go to Joseph. He'll tell you what to do. Watch. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Listen, it wasn't just Egypt. It was everywhere. If the Jewish people remain in Canaan, what's going to happen to them? They're going to what? They're going to die. And if they don't starve to death, they'll pollute themselves with the Canaanites, right? He's got to get them out of there. You'd think you could say to God, did you have to do a worldwide famine just to get your people down into Egypt? I mean, think about it, right? That's what he does. God has warned the Egyptians through Joseph so that in the famine, he would be able to preserve his own people, his chosen people, by bringing them down to Egypt. It's powerful. We have seen that God raises up Joseph 
right time, right place at the right time. He brings, he's got blessing, position, children, everything. He sees that he was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He becomes second only to Pharaoh. There is the seven years of plenty. Then there's the seven years of famine. And Joseph is used to provide not only just for the Egyptians, but for the whole world. When you look at chapter 42, I just want you to look at the first two verses. Now, Jacob, whoa, Jacob, that's, that's who? Who is Jacob? That's who? That's Joseph's, that's Joseph's dad. Jacob thinks Joseph's dead. He's been dead for how long? Well, no, think about it. 13 years plus 7, that's 20 years. And then we don't know how far into the famine this is. So he thinks Joseph's been gone 20-something years. Because remember, he was 30 when he was raised up. There's been 7 years of, of blessing, so he's 37. Now he's, you know, so so it's been a while. Jacob saw that, saw that there was grain in Egypt. I love this verse. Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? <laughs> Quit looking at another and make some decisions and get out of here and get us some bread. He said, behold, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some of us from that place so that we may live and not die. <laughs> why are y'all looking at each other? Why are you just standing there and looking at each other? Do something. Next time we'll see. What he does is pretty powerful, what they do when they get there. Let me give you some applications, okay? First of all, trust God in the circumstances of life. It's true. He's in control. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. Joseph trusted him when it was good. I mean, when it was bad, now he trusted him when it was good. Just think about it. God is working all things. He does the same thing for us. We trust in the events of our lives. He is the provider, protector. He puts us at the right place at the right time. Can you look back at your life and say, I am so glad that that worked out. It just so happens you, we say it like that. It just happens. It just worked out just right. Why did it just work out just right? Because God's working. No such thing as luck or chance or fate. God is in control. How do we respond when things go wrong? We get all happy when things go right. And we say, God's really working when things go wrong. Do we say, God's really working? We don't. Is he working in the, in the things that go wrong? Just like he's working in the things that go right. He is. Sovereignty and promise. In providence, trust God in the events and circumstances of our lives. Number two, let's be used as God's instruments. Think about it. God used Pharaoh. I mean, excuse me. God used Joseph to interpret the dreams. He raised up Joseph at the right place, and Joseph was faithful. And Joseph, of course, gave God all the glory about it. God uses us. Every one of us in this room, you are an instrument to be used by God. In, exa- in the same way that God used Joseph. You say, well, I'm never going to be as important as Joseph. Well, not. that's how God chose to use Joseph. God's going to choose to use you in a different way. Jesus said we're the salt and the light in the world. Are we faithful to do what God has for us to do? Are we faithful to be used by God? Think about just, just the salvation message. Do you know the gospel? I'm talking about the clear grace message of salvation. In, at this church, if you've been here for any length of time, you understand that the message is that Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And salvation is a gift, not by works, but simply faith alone in Christ alone. That is that simple of a message. Most people in this world don't have a clue of that. They don't understand it. We have the privilege and responsibility of taking that message. We are the instruments. We must stand for the truth. We must make clear the salvation message. We must stand and live by the Bible. So let's be used. Let your life count for Christ. Say to him, take me, use me for your glory. Third, just remember this, only in God's power can we serve. Joseph kept saying, it's not me but God. 
That's what we should say. It's not me, but God. Our lives, it's really not us. It's God through us. We see, Jesus said, in, or Paul wrote in Philippians, in Christ we can do what? All things, and apart from Him we can do nothing. So it's actually God. God is the one that does it. And finally, the last but not least, which is powerful, is that God gets all the glory. All the glory, all the time. Um, You do not want any of God's glory. Just remember that. When you start thinking about, yep, 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 God's using me. Just remember, no, it's not me. It's just God taking me and using me, and He gets all the glory. We want to trust God in the circumstances of our lives. We want to be faithful to be instruments. We can be salt and light in the community. And we want to give all the glory to God. Well, let's pray. If you've got questions or comments, we'll deal with them. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, as we just watch you raise up Joseph. And, and Lord, we would say, how, how possible is the fact that a Hebrew slave could be raised to number two in Egypt? And the, the truth is you can do anything. And just like you take us who are dead in trespasses and sins, and immediately when we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you raise us up and we become a new creation in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all these great truths. And, Lord, we just ask you that, that we, as we think about the fact that we trust you day in and day out, you're working all things. Lord, we want our lives to count for you. We want to be instruments for you. We realize that it is your power through us, and you get all the glory. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Thank you for your word, which is so perfect and so fun to study. Thank you for this, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Anything you want? That's not a complicated passage, right? (laughs) It's just truth. Okay, anything? Any questions, comments, anything? Okay, what we can do, we can break, we've got to, well, let's see, we've got just a little bit, the guys can go over here and the ladies can go over there and we can have prayer time, you can, you know, stay if you'd like to, Uh, we'd love for you to, just remember, any of the guys that are in my Thursday morning group, we're meeting at Mom's tomorrow, Gee, it's it's a tough day, but that's what we've got to do, we're going to meet at Mom's for breakfast, so, uh, because of Vacation Bible School. If y'all can remember to pray for Vacation Bible School and pray that some of these kids that are coming day in and day out, and they're hearing the salvation message of Jesus Christ, prayer that they will trust in Christ as Savior. So that'll be a lot of fun. Let me pray for that, and then we just break in the two groups. Heavenly Father, we just think about Vacation Bible School, and for these little ones, we pray that uh, the teachers are so amazing, and the workers are so amazing. We just pray that this week they will clearly share the message of salvation. And Lord, we pray that children, some of the children, in fact, many of the children, who if they do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, they will trust in Christ. Uh, maybe tomorrow, if they haven't already trusted in Christ as Savior. That's That's what we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.